Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Out of the gates and ready to go, the Friday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow has arrived across the Outkick Network, 6th and Peabody, our location with Ehop here in Old Smoky Moonshine. Mary Catherine Hamm will join us from Outkick.com. That's coming up in about 45 minutes. We discuss Matt Ariza and whether or not we're going to see him back punting in the NFL after it appears he is not a part of any of the alleged gang rape allegations that have uh, taken place of what, a year and a half ago uh, with uh, his college. And we'll dive further into that and where we go from here, both from the legal stance and from the athletic stance that's coming up in 45 minutes mike gunzelman the guns show back in studio with us in about an hour and a half always brings the energy chad and we've got the energy coming on this friday a stack show plenty to get to good afternoon special energy because the weekend has almost arrived here we are Hutton. The, made it all the way to the end of the week we also have chad's top five movies for the summer that are must see uh, that he's most anticipating. Really looking forward to that. NFL. I don't know if they're must-see yet because I've not seen them. I'm basing most this just simply on my level of excitement. Okay. And there's one movie in this top five that everyone's going to see it and go, huh? They're not going to know it's a movie until I explain it to them. Oh, well, maybe it's a show. That's coming up. No, it's it's a movie. It's out today. But it's there's one... It's You're one of those no old of like, college, high school aptitude tests. Oh, I got you. Which one of these is out of sequence? Which one of these is not like the other? There's one film in this group that is completely unlike the other four. So we'll, we'll get into it later. NFL schedule release we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Last night, the Denver Nuggets advanced to the Western Conference Finals. Nikola Jokic does his thing. He had four triple doubles in the series against the Suns. And meanwhile, the Suns are just blasted. They head to the offseason for the second consecutive year in disgrace. Except this go around, even Devin Booker was so embarrassed about their performance that he didn't speak. He just left the arena. And now they go into the offseason with a new owner and Matt Ishbia and a new superstar in Kevin Durant. And Chad, it is... Now time to just acknowledge as they head into the offseason, as they've gone fishing, so to speak, as we would see on Inside the NBA, the pressure is now on Phoenix to deliver with those two, with Durant and Booker. They should be advancing at this time next year compared to what we've seen over the last couple of seasons, especially with Kevin Durant, a part of the mix, and knowing that Matt Ishbia is going to do everything in his power, not just to invest in the team, but turn things over and get things right from what they're missing behind the scenes. Suns could have used Matt Ishbia flopping on the court last night at points in that game. They're down 30 at halftime. That was a disgraceful performance uh, by the Suns. They were, they were never competitive in that game. Kevin, Kevin Durant had a playoff low, 23 points. Devin Booker could not do anything. And now it is an offseason of wanting a lot more. Look, you do have the built-in excuse of Kevin Durant. You know, he got there. 
wasn't completely healthy, didn't really have time to completely sync with his teammates to go on a big, long run in these playoffs. But you hit on something here, Hutton. Pressure's on now for this offseason and next year for this Suns team. They have the personnel to put together a championship run, and that's what Matt Ishbia wants. Matt Ishbia did not buy this team and then cost himself millions of dollars to go the goodwill route and put his games, his team's games, on local television to bow out in embarrassing fashion in the second round. So the expectation is going to be much higher next year. I'll give them a slight pass because the Durant deal happened late. They didn't have a lot of time to acclimate. But going into next year, this is a team that's going to have well, t- high expectations. I give them the pass just because of new ownership. Ishbia took over in the first press conference and said, we are here and I am here to win championships. Then they acquire Kevin Durant. But keep in mind, we're not that far removed from DeAndre Ayton being a headline because he tapped out in a must-win game for Phoenix and they brought him back for another year. There, there needs to be a behind-the-scenes change-up and I think Ishby is there to do just that. Meanwhile, Denver, fantastic. And Jokic, dominant. But yet someone let, left him off the MVP ballot altogether. Get to vote for five. And somehow, if you have a vote in the NBA for most valuable player, the player who won the previous two MVP awards did not make the ballot And earlier this week, whenever the award was handed out and announced that it was Joel Embiid, and by the way, rightfully so, he was dominant this year. He had been the runner-up, and it wasn't a landslide, but, I mean, he got many of the first-place votes in the possible outcome of MVP for 2022-23. Charles Barkley had this to say on Inside the NBA. Something that's been bothering me, you know, Joel deserved MVP. Joka and Giannis, they were one, two, three, whoever you voted. There's one person, I don't even know this fool's name, didn't even have Joker in the top five. Like, people like that shouldn't get a vote. You got to hope that it was just an oversight or no, some kind no, of a tabulation no, thing no. and that a guy wouldn't consciously say, Ernie, no, he's Ernie, not in the Ernie, top Ernie, five. Ernie. For the that's la- what I'm just... Ernie, that's for the last, my hope. I understand. For the last six months, we talked about Joker, Giannis, and Embiid. If you have a television or you actually watch basketball, if you don't think he should have been in the top five, you don't deserve to vote. I mean, you could be like some of these fools we'd be letting vote for president out here. I'm hoping it was some type of a clerical error or some t- or some kind... Of, there's a, There's got to be a good reason for it. I yeah, he's hope, a damn idiot. I hope there idiot. was a better reason than that. And, and guess who it ends up being? The, the, the damn idiot, is, as Charles Barkley says. On Sirius XM, Mark Jackson, former player and head coach and broadcaster, copped to it on Sirius XM NBA radio. He said, I was the idiot who left him off my ballot. Mistake. One thing I live by. You make a mistake, you own it. I'm not a guy that does it for clicks or to be trending. Absolute mistake made by me. I am thinking, how did I make that mistake? You can tell I put one center, two forwards, and two guards, so I wasn't even thinking. He then doubled down on his top five, and he says I, he apologized to the Denver Nuggets. I apologized to Jokic, who is not only in the MVP discussion and deserved to be on my ballot, but when he, he's one of the greatest players in the history of this game. He's a top 10 center of all time. I own it. If you want to take away my vote or do whatever, more than welcome, I made a mistake. That from Mark Jackson. He tweeted out an apology as well. I was fully prepared to come into studio today and just rip Mark Jackson. 
for making this mistake. And then Mark Jackson went on an interview, and he just totally fell on the sword and said, I'm an idiot. I screwed up. I apologize. If you want to take my vote, go ahead. I understand. And now I'm left with no way to crush Mark Jackson because he did a great job of owning it. Look, mistakes happen. Now, we could sit here and debate, should you take it more seriously than to just put a point guard, two guards, and a forward and center, however he did it, like Mm -hmm. you're filling out a starting lineup and not the top five players regardless of position. Yeah, he should have taken it more seriously, and I think that's what he's admitting in doing this. But I've got a hard time crushing the guy for making what he says is an honest mistake. If he had come back and tried to double down on it by saying, well, this is why he's not top five, then yeah, we'd come in here, or at least I would, and criticize Mark Jackson. But I can't do that. Look, yesterday, I made the mistake of asking about a guy who died in a car accident if he was still playing for the Minnesota Vikings because it completely slipped my mind, and I forgot about it happening. Point being, mistakes happen. Now, would I have written down that player in an MVP ballot? And not taking my time doing it, it was and the taking, debate of and taking the, the vote more seriously, absolutely, I would have taken it more seriously. Here's also what I'm hearing from Mark Jackson. Please, take the vote from me. I don't care. Well, he's saying if That's you take the vote... That's kind of what he's saying with that, right? But he's saying, like, hey, if you want to take the vote because I'm an idiot, have at it. But I don't view this the same way. Here's where it really irks me um, and, and where it was warranted. All you have to do is go back a year and a half, Chad. Hub Arkish had an MVP vote for the uh, NFL and left off Aaron Rodgers because of the whole vaccine stuff, because he had, quote-unquote, lied or manipulated how he wanted to say inoculated instead of vaccinated, right? Yeah. That was the whole thing. Guess who doesn't have a vote anymore? Hub Arkish. And uh, a long-time... Uh, media member and cover, had covered and still does cover the NFL, a Pro Football Weekly and, and other outlets. Point being, that warrants more of a removal of a vote than it does in this case. And far too often you, you see the, the votes that go against a player because you don't like them. You see a, a head coach that has a coach's poll vote. And he goes against the team because he's trying to elevate where he is or bring down the, the, the rival to his team's level a notch, if possible. To me, this is an honest mistake. And you can tell just based on how he outed himself because even at the time when the votes came out, they didn't know on Inside the NBA who didn't vote for Jokic in the top five. And you can tell Barkley is thinking this is some writer. Yeah. No, he definitely th- he he did not he was not envisioning Mark Jackson, a guy he played against, when he was well, saying this idiot and, that did that. And I wouldn't take have either, away. by the way. No, it was a total shock when we saw that. I, I buy that it was an honest mistake and that it was just an oversight from Mark Jackson the way he explained it. You're hitting on something though, Hutton, that is one hundred percent true. If any Hall of Fame MVP all league voter is found to have placed a vote for any reason other than what that player did on the field and what the criteria is, that person should be banished from being able to vote. Aaron Rodgers is a good example. If there's anything politically that some voter has against someone and they decide to not vote for them and they say it's for that reason, you take their vote away. 
Every time. I don't care what the political reason is. I don't care what's going on. If it's for any racial reason, obviously, you would take that vote away from someone, right? Right. right. I think the same goes for that. If you've got a problem with Aaron Rodgers' definition of vaccination or inoculation, and that's why you didn't vote him MVP, and there's no other reason, do you take that person's vote away? I would say the same for anyone that left off a player off an MVP ballot for that very reason also and could not cite actual on-the-court or on-the-field play as to why they did it. But I I think the initial reaction would have been just spitballing here. Hey, and and Barkley's taking up like he's one of the – he's – He's he's either number one or number two on a ballot, period. And I think the assumption, whenever someone's leaving him off the ballot, what's the first thing you think of? You think of the Kendrick Perkins argument with J.J. Redick on first take. Between Embiid or Giannis and then Jokic. And in this case, I don't see the parallels as to why Mark Jackson left Jokic off of his ballot based on the description and how he fell on the sword for this. And he doesn't mention Embiid in this, in his argument for leaving Jokic off. Nothing. And I'm with you, Chad. I appreciate Jackson more for just saying, hey, massive mistake. Now, it can't happen again. But I doubt Mark Jackson makes that mistake again. I think the screams of this was racist would be really loud if he tried to defend that and say that Jokic isn't one of the five best players in the NBA. But I, I really believe him when he just says, I'm an idiot. It was an oversight. Yeah, I think he's a straight shooter. I think he is too. I, I, I'm gonna, I'll give some grace to Mark Jackson on this one. It was an oversight. I think he was an idiot. I think to go as far as to say, I'm such an idiot. If you'd like to take my vote away from me, have at it. Go ahead. I understand. That takes a big man to just own it and to not try to make an excuse and make it something other than what it was. Now, if Mark Jackson came back today and tried to point to all the reasons he's not a top-five player in the league or in his vote, then we would probably spend a lot more time calling Mark Jackson a complete idiot. And not just an idiot for the oversight, but a complete idiot in the basketball sense because because he made that argument. But he's not. Therefore, I offer up some grace. Chad, the NFL schedule is officially out. Fans have made plans over the last, what, 12 hours or so based on what they're going to be doing during the fall weekends. And some NFL organizations absolutely crushed it with their social media reveals. We mentioned this yesterday. Teams knew the schedule ahead of the release on purpose so that they can get this out there to their social media staffs. The good and the bad of the NFL was revealed last night. So... I put together a top five. We've got a top five most anticipated summer movies coming up a little bit later. I, Hutton, for the good of Hot Mike and for us, actually went this morning and watched all 32 videos. It's at NFL.com. You can watch all of them in order if you would like. I wouldn't advise it because some of them, quite frankly, are terrible. Yes, Others they are. are terrific. And I'm going to give my top five right now. The Titans right here in Nashville, their man on the street Broadway partygoer version where they showed a logo of their opponent and had them guess what team it was and then use the NFL, the triumphant NFL music to display what the team, what the team was that they said with the logo. Hilarious. Very well done. Very well produced. That was my favorite. A close second, the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
who went in and leaned into the NFL is scripted narrative with a screenwriter and a team full of writers in a writing room scripting last year's Jag season, talking about how they came up with the idea and portraying Jags players. This is like a seven minute video. Jags players as actors. My favorite line was when the guy who's playing the screenwriter for the Jags said, the hardest thing about my job is getting actual college football players to now pretend to be NFL players and do our script for us. And that's hard for these football players to do to become actors. Great. For those that don't know the joke, they may be a little bit confused by it. I thought it was terrific. Uh, number three, Broncos did a take on The Office with Peyton Manning and one of the actresses from The Office. Really funny. Really well done. That was great. The Vikings was not funny. But they did a continuous drone shot that started in a truck with Kirk Cousins and then followed a football through their facility, their indoor facility that went to their offices, went outside, went through the weight room, and everywhere it went, you could tell it had to be live and had to get it in the one take. People were doing something to show the schedule as they went through the office and everything else. I was blown away by it. Watched it twice. And they did. It was so beautifully done. They were a lot like the Titans. They did two different videos. Yeah. And they played off of the same viral video that the Titans did with the man on the street, except they did it with their kids, players' kids, guessing logos. And the Titans did one, like you're talking about, the Vikings in the facility on Broadway in one of the bars. Yeah. And the Titans also did one at Robert's Western Room, a, a famous bar on Broadway. That was really well it done. It was great. Yeah. With celebrity appearances uh, throughout that I thought was, was really good. And finally, mainly because I love this show, The Bear on FX and Hulu, the Chicago Bears did a parody of The Bear where different Bears figures were cooks at a, a, a Chicago beef sandwich shop in, in Chicago. Really well done. Now, for the bad of this, and this is where it shows the creativity or lack thereof with NFL social media teams, those were the ones I really enjoyed. The ones that I cannot stand, one of two things. One, and I'm probably alone on this one. Um, when you do anime back-to-back -back years, I feel like you're lacking creativity. And everybody gushes over the Chargers showing their schedule in anime because they're trolling everyone in every photo. And some of the stuff is clever. you got to really look for the different photos and what they're doing in the anime. But... Not my thing. I don't love it. I think you should come up with an original idea every other year. And Hutton is someone that Armando Salguero, a team that he says is the, now the worst in the NFL with decision-making, the Arizona Cardinals. Their entire video was 30 seconds, and it was their quarterback, Kyler Murray, knocking over a camera with a football, and then the camera falls back to reveal their schedule. Dumb, lazy, basically adjectives to describe the Cardinals organization. The haves and the have-nots yeah. of owners that spend money on social and video. Some had two, some had three. Some had Kyler Murray but knocking over cans. To think that the top two on my list were two teams in the AFC South that's not exactly synonymous with winning at the highest level, especially the Jacksonville Jags. I thought that was the, some of the most creativity mixed with high-level production that I saw for any social media team across the NFL. So well done, Titans. Well done, well, Jax. And the, and the Titans had the other teams play along with this, you know, based on their video with the, the viral sensation with you go on and you've got, you know, the, the wife in the car trying to guess the NHL team and the husband's laughing while she's driving. 
Uh, the Titans did a version of that. And then you have people on Broadway that are trying to guess logos. And, you know, the Colts are changing their name to not the Cowboys for a, a couple of hours. And you have other versions of this, too, uh, where teams are playing along, like the Falcons and others. The Dolphins change it to the Atlanta, Florida Dolphins. Um, the, the Red Stallions, I believe, were the name of the, the Falcons yes. to the girl on Broadway. Uh, hilarious. Fantastic. The, the best was the repeat of the city, like the Chicago, Wisconsin, something, something, yeah. as they're trying to come up with what team it was. I also want to give the A for Effort Award to the Dallas Cowboys, who tried to tie in Yellowstone and Taylor Sheridan. I thought the idea, I'll put it this way, the, the effort, the, the, the star power, A+, plus, execution, could have been better, C- minus on the execution. I think they could have gone with a better bit when they got Taylor Sheridan and the Yellowstone universe involved in what they did, but an A for effort. They did not lack any expenditures on their video, Hutton, which I'm sure doesn't surprise anyone considering Jerry Jones is their owner. And also, he was a big part of the video. We will be uh, taking a look at the primetime games coming up later in the show. Cowboys scheduled for six primetime games. That's the maximum for networks to use in the primetime slot for any single team. No surprise by that. The Thanksgiving schedule, Packers and Lions. Commanders will be taking on the Cowboys and the 49ers and Seahawks in primetime on Thanksgiving night. The Jets, they have six standalone games. And the Steelers, Bears, and Saints each get two Sunday-Thursday turnarounds. Not easy, to say the least. Coming up, college football when we return. And a lot to discuss because the Big Ten, according to Brett McMurphy, has already vetted and cleared two major programs to make the jump to the conference. Details next on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Mary Catherine Ham will join us coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll break down the Matt Ariza case, the punt god who was punted out of Buffalo based on a case in California and turns out he wasn't even present for the alleged gang rape. Details coming up. And, it's, and Mary Catherine did a great job uh, writing about this at, at OutKick, but her angle is much more from media's coverage of it yeah, and the, how we are very quick to convict in the media when anything happens. And I think when it's the more severe, the more severe the accusation, I think the quicker to judgment and conviction in the media all too often. And Matt Arise is another example of this. And there, there needs to be repercussions for someone who makes completely false claims against someone yes. that ruins their lives. And I'm not just talking about civil suits that they could face after the fact. Uh, there needs to be some, some real-life repercussions uh, to people who do that. We'll talk with Mary Catherine about that coming up. Chad, Oregon and Washington, according to Brett McMurphy of CBS Sports, they, they have vetted and they have cleared Oregon and Washington through the Big Ten to join the conference when it's time for them to make that jump. Not surprised, but this is basically saying, hey, as soon as you're ready, 
we're ready. We'll make that vote. Everything's good to go. And, I mean, this makes total sense. But if this happens, the last two July 4ths, we have had news with conference realignment. It started with Texas and Oklahoma. Last Independence Day, right around the weekend, USC and UCLA were going to the Big Ten. And my guess is, Oregon and Washington, they were the next pair that came out of that discussion. And the vetting and the clearance of this probably took place before Tony Patetti took the job as the Big Ten commissioner. Because we were discussing Oregon and Washington and others and the Pac-12 media rights deal playing a factor in all of this prior to them actually naming their new commissioner. Unless this is some sort of long con by the Big Ten to slowly bleed the Pac-12 to death in some sort of effort to completely snuff them out of the college football universe, I do not understand why the Big Ten wouldn't have just added all four teams at once. Well, at the time, though, one time, but at the time, wasn't there some issue with the state legislation in Oregon where if Oregon left, Oregon State also had to be a part of that? But they cleared that up. Or was that Washington and Washington State? It was Oregon, Oregon State. I'm pretty sure what was was the thing. But because that this is this is now that made sense based on USC UCLA doing that. They've been vetted and cleared by the Big Ten. Point being, you know, this this didn't happen all over the course of two weeks. Get your ducks in a row. Hey, what do you think about that? Well pun? done. Yeah. Well done. Get your ducks Working in a row. Huskies now. Get your ducks and and get your you know get your dogs ready to hunt. Get the sled. Get your dogs ready to hunt. Your huskies ready to hunt, <laughs> and have everything ready to go. And you bring in your Trojans, your Bruins, your ducks, and your huskies all at once and end it. Because honestly, the Pac-12, while that would have been you know a substantial blow, at least they would have known what they were working with and didn't live in this college football purgatory during their TV negotiations where they're not even certain if their top two remaining brands are going to stay in the conference yeah. as they negotiate with, with television networks. So I, I think it would have been advantageous almost for both sides in a weird way if you just pulled the Band-Aid off all at once and brought in all four instead of this slow bleeding process of we'll take two now and then we'll wait a year and we'll take well, two more and then we're going to go to the AC. I mean – just take the teams that you want. I, to me, Hutton, this has always made perfect sense. Big Ten needs to have a West Coast division and add those four teams. Those Help are the brands the that you want. Here. Did the TV deal happen in the Big Ten before or after USC-UCLA? I'd have to look that up to make sure. Because I think it happened grant before. Of right, okay, because the grant of rights portion of this... To me, the, the money it would take to buy out the grant of rights plays a factor in how many teams you're bringing over. If the conference, and you have to get all the presidents and the universities on board with paying a certain amount or splitting a certain amount per year with new teams, um, maybe the new media rights deal in the Big Ten makes this much easier to expand if you wanted to you know, it was, sweeten the it pot. It was after. So it's after the Big Ten announced their TV rights deal totaling over eight billion dollars on August eighteenth, twenty twenty two. Okay. So July first, twenty twenty two was when is that when, was made. Is when so USC UCLA they so, were negotiating from that power position, knowing that when this started, USC and UCLA would be a part of it. And because and, their new rights deal starts in on July first of year. this year. This year. Oh, this year. Yeah. 
begins July first, twenty twenty three. So when that runs money, through twenty thirty, when that money kicks in, again, I'm just spitballing from from the business side of it. Do you have to? You agree that you're paying a certain amount to each school, right? Like if, if you don't bring on USC and UCLA, it's more in your coffers individually yep. per year. Well, you also don't have to pay anything to leave the conference. But, I mean, they, the way they set this up, they were betting on the fact that USC and UCLA, even if the Pac-12 extended their media rights deal, they were going to buy them out, right? They're going to pay whatever fine. And in this case, they don't, they're not going to have to because the media rights deal is going to expire and universities can walk without penalty, unlike a team, for instance, in the ACC. Or if a team wanted to leave the... You know, the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma. We're seeing that payment being made. And that money is being split amongst all the programs through the money coming in through ESPN. Point being, if you can wait a year or a year and a half and then add these teams, you don't end up spending extra millions and you keep it for yourself. But also, um, if you're Oregon, at the time, if you're Oregon and you're Washington, again, at the time when USC and UCLA left, the thought was that the Big 12 was screwed, right? The Big 12 was the one that was going to die. Because they were the ones initially taking on the water when Texas, Oklahoma left. And the Pac-12 had just hired a new commissioner and had gotten rid of and trimmed the fat. So you're thinking, okay, if we can take on some of the Big 12 teams, we have a much better chance of getting into the playoff where we are and individually making money for the university and the conference than going to the Big Ten and being left out of whatever ends up being negotiated. So from a business stance from where they sat, maybe you did just want to sit back because they know their value. Their value is good last year and this year if you're Oregon, right? Yeah. So maybe you sit back and say, okay, let's... It's not gotten any worse. Well, but I think the money from the television rights, I think everyone knows now the money's going to offset. It may be more difficult to make a 12-team playoff if you're playing in the Big Ten compared to the Pac-12. How long is the Pac-12 going to be a part of this process based on the way they're going? How long are we going to see a process where it is a power five and the money that you're going to make per year annually off of television rights is going to offset the money that you would make if you made the college football playoff because you're the best team in a bad conference of the Pac-12. But at the time... It was the Big 12 that was going to go away. They were dead because Texas and Oklahoma had just left. Well, I still think they're, both, they're both eventually going to die unless they team together. I'm saying Pac-12 and Big 12. Now, the Big 12 does feel like they're in a position where we're not dead yet. You know, we're adding some pretty yeah. quality brands. It's not Big 10 SEC level brands, but we're adding some good programs that's coming in. Uh, it's we've sustainable. Got, we've got a good you know media package on the horizon. They feel like they don't have to share right now with the Pac-12. They can cut them out and do their own thing and be fine. I think the Pac-12 is still being very stubborn, and they're not really accepting reality at this point by thinking they're going to sustain for any long period of time. What's best for both conferences is to form a power conference. But to do that, they need to leave some programs behind. And they don't want to do that. I mean, you're going to kill some that have been loyal to you yeah, you're right. if you join together because, as an example, these four programs that just left wherever they were to go to the Big 12 probably aren't going to be in on the new package with the Pac-12. Some of them are going to get cut. So now you're really hurting the programs that showed faith in you to leave 
and join your conference are going to leave them behind. And the Pac-12 has got a lot of longtime members that a couple of them probably won't make the cut if they join forces with the Big 12. So lots to consider, lots to think about. But if they truly want to be one of the power conferences again, it's going to be some conglomerate that features the top of what's left of the Pac-12 with the top of what's left of the Big 12. But see, I, I, I realize you have to screw over some of your most loyal programs, right? Your universities that have been with you. But I would love to know the argument of sitting back and doing nothing behind closed doors while waiting on the new television rights agreement and the financial climate to get better. Because I don't know how it makes sense because if you don't do what you just said, Chad, and try to join and merge, the Big 12 is going to take teams from you and the Big 10 is going to take programs from you. They're going to do it for you. So either way, you're going to end up losing institutions that have been with you and that have been a part of the fabric of the conference. And really, I mean, while it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the kill shot, USC UCLA is bleeding them out currently based on the fact that they can't get a TV rights deal, even though down South, the big 12 just did without Texas and Oklahoma, a part of their future that speaks volumes. And if, if you lose the programs, you lose Colorado and Arizona and Arizona State and Utah, and then Washington and Oregon are bolting for the Big Ten eventually. What difference does it make if you sit back and say, hey, we're going to be loyal to who's with us? Because yeah. at that point, you're, you just you become the Mountain West. Good discussion going on in the YouTube chat right now. Uh, Trip says Stanford and Cal should just go Division Three. They don't like sports anyway. Well, they like the money. Yeah. <laughs> they like the money they get being a Division One power conference and getting a TV check and revenue sharing within that conference. And also, I think it's unfair to put Stanford in that category. They're good at everything. I mean, Stanford is winning uh, the, the Capital One Quality. Cup yeah. or whatever it is they because care. they're great in the Olympic sports. They're good. Now, the university cares. Do they have fan bases? No. Cal and Stanford don't have passionate SEC Big Ten level fan bases, but they've had some success. And again, they're not going to give up that money they're getting by being Division One in a power conference. So that's not going to happen. Whether their university systems and the academia part of it like sports or not, the way we like sports, doesn't matter. They like cash. They like the money that comes with it. So they're not going anywhere. I'd say the same about Vanderbilt in the SEC. Uh, they haven't been good at, in football, but for maybe three or four years stretch out of the last 50, 60 years, doesn't matter. They like the money that comes with being in the SEC. 60 mil. So, and I don't blame them. I mean, why why would you go anywhere? The SEC likes them for the academic know, There's a lot of talk of these teams should join the Ivy League, and I'm thinking, well, why? I mean, they're they're getting a check every year. You don't have to win to get that check. Just be in the league. Just stay relevant. Stay alive. There's no floor. Offer enough sports. Yeah, the floor can be (laughs) as low as you want to on the investment. You get the $60 million check doesn't mean you have to throw it back into the athletic department yeah. in certain cases. Others do. Ace says San Diego State, UNLV, Gonzaga have been discussed for the Pac-12. That does nothing. I mean, Gonzaga's a great basketball program. San Diego State, they've had some good football years. Maybe they can become something that's desirable. Your, your conference becomes the conference that they're coming from. San Diego State's the next to move. Because they've had discussions with Big 12 and Pac-12 yes. at this point. Yes. So I, I understand that. But, again, we're talking about a bunch of programs that, while they are good and have some value, they're, they're not the top 30, 40 programs 
that exist in college no sports from a brand standpoint. Any of these we're talking about, and that's not a knock on them. Value. Gonzaga may be a top 30 or 40 basketball brand, but that's it. Men's basketball brand, yes. But you what you swing bring a to hammer the table, in, a, in a room, in a meeting. Yes, what you bring to the table in terms of money you can drive and bring in with eyeballs, these programs aren't going to do it. We need to get into a, a variety of different topics throughout today's show. We'll hit them. We've got the NFL schedule release, our reaction to the best games. We have Hunter Dickinson transferring from Michigan to Kansas and saying it took courage to take the NIL money. And speaking of NIL, the new law in Missouri that we'll dive into as well. But when we come back, Mary Catherine Hamm will join us. Matt Ariza, the punt god in Buffalo for, what, a matter of days until news broke that he was allegedly involved in a gang rape back in college. Turns out he wasn't even present for that. And when Mary Catherine joins us coming back, we'll discuss the media coverage and how that dictated what happened throughout this entire saga. That's next on Hot Mike. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. It's well documented last year throughout the NFL draft. Matt Ariza, the punt god, drafted in the sixth round by the Buffalo Bills. And then news comes out that he is named in a civil suit, allegedly involved in a gang rape back at, during his time at San Diego State University with an underage woman who was allegedly at the party saying she was 18 instead of 17. Turns out, two months after being cut, three months after being cut, prosecutors did not bring charges Arise's way. And now we learn, based on video evidence and reports, that he wasn't even present for what allegedly took place that evening. And with more, Mary Catherine Ham joins us. Outkick.com is where you can read her take on this story and more. Plus, check out the Getting Hammered podcast. He's Terrific the host name. there. Yeah, absolutely. Mary Love Catherine, great to have you on the show. How are you? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and we're right there with you with everything you wrote. And we, we, you know, we said earlier this week, this is media coverage getting ahead of the story and reaction happening before details emerge. Right. I mean, I think the question is how should we cover these things? And it used to be that you would cover things with an assumption of innocence until proven guilty. However, I think the way that much sports media and a lot of sort of mainstream media in general covers these things is, well, let's figure out which party we want to be bad and which party we want to be good. And then we will cover accordingly, except the evidence should actually show you those things and you should wait for that evidence. And in this case, of course, we knew in December 2022 that the charges were not bringing, were being brought, which is interesting in and of itself. Now we have a lot more information, which is that there's at least one witness of the 35 in, uh, interviewed that say Ariza was not at the party at the time of the alleged incident. Uh, there's also video allegedly that the uh, the prosecutor had in hand in this transcript. He's talking about it and saying, look, with this video, I cannot possibly prove anything forcible happened. These are pretty important facts, uh, especially to the person who has lost his career and reputation as a result of this story. And I looked back at all the media coverage and so much of it makes almost no mention, if not no mention of the idea that someone might be innocent until proven guilty and we should wait for any of this. 
Well, and there's such a wide gap, Mary Catherine, but from the the quote "believe all women" versus yes. the a system in place where sexual abusers can get away with doing things, and women are afraid to come forward for that reason, right? And it's striking the balance with that. And I see a story like this, and I'm thinking, boy, this really hurts that, right? If there's a false accusation made and it's publicized, this doesn't help women at all either, right? Right. Like, how far do you want the pendulum to swing? Because I'm somebody who, okay, the Me Too movement did bring to light things that we didn't know that are important, right? And maybe changed standards for moving forward. However, do we want to change the standard to hashtag believe all women? That's not a useful or moral standard, actually. What it does is take due process away from people. And when you're doing something in the public uh, eye, as media does, or as I did often talking about Me Too allegations, You want to be careful that you are not irresponsibly smearing someone before you know what's going on. And by the way, giving someone due process does not mean that you are saying this is a wonderful role model or this is the perfect person. You're just affording them responsible journalism and preserving their reputation until the point that you have information otherwise. That seems like a no brainer. But in media today, it absolutely is not. And it, of course, brought up, uh, you know, memories of the Duke lacrosse case, which still I would argue if you went to a bunch of media folks and asked them what that case was about, they still wouldn't know what a travesty it was because it's stuck in their brains as a story of race and privilege, right? It's not stuck in their brains as a false ag- accusation story. But for the people who were falsely ac- accused, it's stuck for them for life. And I think in many cases, and it's a deeper conversation, but I think the bosses of the media who refuse to acknowledge this those that are overseeing it, it's a lot like getting likes on Instagram or Twitter or being verified or not. They're judging based on clicks instead of the story. I don't know how many of the organizations actually care about the woman as much as the headline. Gang rape as a headline for a football player playing for the Buffalo Bills in the NFL gets clicks. And it's a 24-hour news cycle instead of investigative journalism. Just look at the division of investigative journalists who were let go by ESPN and it's more about the news and tweets and how many characters you can fit in with a link than it is the actual story. Well, and it's also there's a hive mind uh, in media that doesn't serve anyone well, right? If you're if you're the person who speaks up on Twitter or in the newsroom and just says like, "Hey, I'm not sure that we know exactly what's going on here," you are suddenly uh, sort of supporting the allegations, right? Like, "Oh, are you in support of that kind of behavior?" It's like, "No, no, no." But our job is to determine whether the behavior happened and how. what is our responsibility here. And not a lot of people are considering that. And it happens over and over again. For instance, like the Jesse Smollett story, right? Yes. When people spoke up on Twitter and said, hey, this sounds like pretty unlikely, this scenario, for these reasons, they were the ones attacked by most of the mainstream sources, right? And it turns out, okay, it, it is not true. And who pays the price for that? Uh, not the people who were spreading the false accusations. <laughs> that's that's the problem. There is actually not a lot of price to pay for being wrong in these really serious situations that affect people's lives. Failure of journalism in this case. At MK Hammer is where you can follow uh, Mary Catherine Ham on social, also the Getting Hammered podcast. We'd like to do a deeper dive with this, uh, maybe during the summer with you, and really analyze what's important and what's not versus what is deemed socially. You know, everyone's got a filter on Instagram or TikTok. To me, there's a filter going on with how we cover 
incidents sure. like this. And uh, to me, that's a deeper topic. So hopefully we can get you back on sometime soon. Thank, Thank you, so you so much for doing guys. this. Appreciate it. Mary Catherine Ham there. And again, the article at outkick.com, we will be uh, tweeting that as well. And you can find it through our social channels here. And we can also put it in the caption at the YouTube channel. Lots to ponder with this yeah, subject. No doubt. And it's from all sides. It's legal system. It's media. It's social media. It's everyone's reaction to it. A lot more to get into with that one. Yeah. And, and the public consumption, too. Yeah. What we want. How many people care consumer. about the result of the story versus the headline and yeah. the discussion early on? NFL schedule changes with a NIL law in Missouri and much more straight ahead on Hot Mike.